Hey there, welcome to Build Your Tribe. My name is Shalene Johnson. And my name is Brock Johnson. With more than 25 years of experience in a variety of businesses, I promise to share with you the ins, the outs, my failures, and successes. And my goal is to share with you these social media money-making strategies to turn your idea into passive income. Every week, my son, Brock, and I will share with you perspectives that will serve you regardless of the stage that you're at in your business. Whether you're a solo entrepreneur looking to grow your brand in social media or you've got dreams for a global brand, Build Your Tribe is here to serve you. All right, Mom, this one's all you. Welcome to this very personal edition of Build Your Tribe. I think we all have a special place in our heart for the first person we kissed or at least the first person that we felt like we had fallen in love with. We also tend to hold a very special place in our heart for our first personal development expert. And when I say personal development, I guess I'm also kind of lumping business development into that. For me, that person, that individual is Brian Tracy. I believe wholeheartedly that my career wouldn't be where it is today. I wouldn't have this life. I wouldn't have the skills I needed. I just, you know, there are lots of people who share personal development, business development, productivity, but there's one that speaks to you. And when you find that one that speaks to you, you finally hear the message. And for me, that is Brian Tracy. In my 20s, I started listening to his audio tapes. And the reason how I got my hands on his audio tapes, <laughs> cassettes, legit, like now I've dated myself is I had got tickets to one of these big arena convention center events where they would have multiple motivational speakers. At the time, it was hosted by Tony Robbins, who I knew of. And there were several different speakers who were going to be at that conference, one of whom was Billy Blanks. As you know, he's the creator of Taibo. So props to Taibo, props to Billy. I wanted to go and see him speak. You know, I thought Tony Robbins seemed kind of cheesy. Sorry, no offense. And the other speakers, like Colonel Powell was there and a ton of other speakers, but it was really Billy who I wanted to go and see. So I dragged Brett along with me and my friend Denise Williams, and we sat up in the nosebleed seats. And I think maybe like the third speaker was a gentleman who was, you know, considerably older than both of us. He spoke methodically. He wore a blue suit. He was gray haired. I'm describing all these things for you so that you understand. It was his message that connected. It wasn't that he looked like me. It wasn't that I related to him because of his age or his energy or his wild clapping from the stage. It was his message was so simple. And he spoke that day about what it means to have focus and what it means to like how to get things done. That was the first time I'd ever heard it explained by someone how to do that. Like I knew I needed to be able to do those things. I just didn't know how to do those things. I'd never been taught that. So at the lunch break, we left, you know, to take a break with everybody else. And I walked out to the table where the booth, if you will, where they were offering programs of his that you could purchase. We were newly married. We didn't have any money. We had Brock. Yeah. So let's see, we've probably been married for two years and we just didn't have extra money. But I convinced Brett because it was a quite an investment. It was like a multi-cassette package where you had this like big plastic kind of like book that opened up and there were like six cassettes on one side and six cassettes on the other side. And it was about goal mastery. And I drove around in my Jeep Grand Cherokee listening to those cassettes 
over and over and over and over again. I must have listened to them for years because I remember Brock then being like old enough, he could repeat some of those words back. So I probably listened to it for three or four years, just on friggin' repeat until I started sharing some of his messages to other people and kind of, you know how you do, like you read a great book or you watch a documentary and you start educating other people on the things that you've learned and that's how you make those things stick. Well, I started doing that and started doing that with my personal training clients and realizing how it was like the foundation for anything you wanted to accomplish, whether it was with fitness or business, marriage, just getting things done was about goal mastery and he had such a simplified way of teaching it. So I want to give credit where credit is due and I always try to reference him because I think that's really important. Nothing is new, right? And even Brian Tracy references the greats who he learned from. And I think that's important to acknowledge the people who you learn things from. And then, of course, you take it and make it your own. My system of goal planning, which is the push goal system, is an evolution of what I learned from him. I didn't invent it. I didn't even know how to do it. I learned it specifically from Brian Tracy and then kind of tweaked it to work for me. And that is the foundation of the push goal system, that whole system, which eventually turned into a New York Times best-selling book, which eventually has turned into this industry of day planners and journals that are helping other people to very quickly master their goals. And, you know, I just trace all that back to Brian Tracy, which by the way, if you don't have a push journal, you need one. It's really, really simple. We'll talk about that later. Anyways, I now live in Southern California. Brian Tracy lives about an hour away from me, and I wanted to take the opportunity to schedule some time and share his wisdom with you. So I jumped in the car, drove down to San Diego, and spent the day with my lifetime mentor, Brian Tracy. And you're about to hear that interview. We talk about everything from overcoming limiting beliefs to figuring out where your fear stems from and how to get over it. We talk about the fact that he was diagnosed with cancer and how he maintained a positive mindset through it and how much he believes that impacted his ability to heal, how to balance family time with business, how to find the mentor that best speaks to you. And I also wanted to know from him how much he believes social media has changed everyone's opportunity to achieve business success much quicker. This is a very special interview for me. I loved spending time with him. Like I walk in the room and I see him and I get tears in my eyes. So I hope you enjoy it too. Brian, if you're listening, thank you. You know, I read a wonderful study many years ago and I taught it for many years. Sometimes I just drop it into a seminar. And Babson College, they did a study of people who went through the finest degree in entrepreneurship, an entrepreneurial MBA. Mm-hmm. And 90% of them never did a thing. With it, they went and got jobs working for companies. Yes. And after I told this little story, I had somebody come up to me and said, oh, I was one of them. Mm. I, the final thesis for your MBA is how to start a business. You could do a complete business plan to start a business. And 90% never did. He said, I was one of those who never did. Wow. And what it said was they went out and got a job with another company. And they were hired, given good jobs. And so they analyzed, why do some people succeed and once people fail? The only answer was launching. Is mm. the successful people launched. Mm-hmm. And none of them were successful in the area where they started off in. Right. So- oh, just hold on to that for a second. Yeah. Is, is, and, I, and I say that when you take action, 
I'm always talking about the importance of taking action. The first thing that happens, you get feedback, which enables you to correct your course. Yeah. The second thing that happens, you get more ideas for more actions that you yes, can take. Yes, yes. And number three, your self-confidence goes up. Yeah. And you feel happy and you feel more powerful. And you get all of that from taking the first step. Yeah. And you get nothing if you don't. Mm. Nothing for sitting and watching television. So if you have an idea, take the first step. And one of the things I say, which gets an incredible reaction, is you can always see the first step. Yes, and this whole is true. Audience, the whole audience goes, oh. Right. You can always see the first step. And when you take the first step, the second step will appear. Yeah. And when you take the second step, the third step will appear. So then why do people ask that rhetorical question, I don't know where to start? Yeah, it's because they're basically afraid. Mm -hmm. They're afraid of failing. And the fear of loss is such a huge loss. It starts in early childhood. They're afraid of failing and learn, earning the disapproval of other people in their lives. Yes. Because if our kids tried something and not, are not successful, we say, what did you learn? Yeah. And they talk about what they learned. I mean, just, it's, it's irrelevant. Whereas, I guess, other kids are brought up and they make a mistake and their parents dump on them. Yeah. Tell them, you know, yeah, I could have told you it wasn't going to work. You wow. Look how much time and money that you wasted. And there was a great interview on television many years ago where they had four self-made millionaires. And each of them were in their 20s. And they asked them at the end of the part of the interview, uh, how many businesses did you start before you started one that you became a millionaire? And so during the break, they calculated it up and it came up. They started an average of 16 businesses. And they're in their 20s. And they're in their 20s. And so the question was, did they fail in those 16 businesses or did they learn absolutely essential lessons that enabled them to succeed uh, on the 17th. Yes. And everybody goes, oh, of course, the, the success was presupposed on the failures. Yes, so every, yeah. every failure was a stepping stone to inevitable success. Yeah. yeah, and, and that's the way you need to it's think. It's exhilarating too to, yeah, to experiment yeah. and yeah. misstep and then correct step and and move forward. I mean, that's exhilarating. Yeah, and that's the, the great who was it said that yeah, Aristotle or someone said that uh, you never fail till you quit. True. If you haven't quit, you haven't failed yet. Right. <laughs> so. Having said that, how do you today define mm -hmm. success, and is it different than how you would have defined it thirty years ago? Well, I think the deepest need that we have, I speak a lot in Russia, I was in Eastern Europe recently, and they're still suffering from what took place during the communist times. They call them communist times or Soviet times. When you do that, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but when you do that, do they have a translator there for you? Oh, yes, but all, many of them speak English as well. Oh, okay. So I, I talk generally about Soviet times, communist times, mm. which is natural to them as sunny days and, uh -huh. and wintry days. They're all familiar with it, and especially their parents. And during those days, freedom was repressed. And one of the things I studied for basically thousands of hours in political economy, and one of the things I found is that people love to be free. Mm. They love to be free. They've never met a person anywhere who feels that they have too much freedom. <laughs> they feel uh, many other people have too much freedom, and therefore right. their freedom should be curtailed by laws and regulation and taxes. It's a major problem with our political system today is all the people, most of them not particularly successful, who think that other people should be punished. They should be taxed and regulated. They shouldn't be, have so much that they uh, should be forced to share their luck, if you like. And, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, but nobody believes it for themselves. Right. Nobody ever says, geez, you know, I've got too much individual freedom. <laughs> Could you please take some of it away from me? Could you tax me, regulate me, control me, curtail my activities? Nobody ever says that. 
Right. And so is that how you have defined success? Is- yeah. so success starts with me. Uh, I, I, I did an interesting study and I passed this on to people. A very wise man said, if you want to know who you are, ask the question every day or several times a day for a week, what is my most important value? Mm. What is my most important value? And now you and I know that values are the core, the, the heartbeat of the human system. Is a happy, successful people very clear values. They know yeah, what they yeah. are and they know how to practice them and they don't compromise. Unsuccessful people are unclear about their values mm. and uh, they compromise them all the time. So when I asked this question over and over, my first thought was lots of money, financial success, but I finally realized that my greatest value is freedom. And first of all, because you can always tell what your values are by what you do when you have to choose, when you do under pressure. Yeah. And for my family, I've always done everything possible to give them complete freedom. Financial freedom was not as important as psychological freedom, emotional freedom. So they never ever feel that they're limited in any way. And my kids are just happy all the time <laughs> because I never, I never said you can't do this or you can't do that or you're limited. It's always encouragement. Wow. Yeah. And with my wife, that's why I give her complete freedom. She has complete control. She handles all our finances. Wow. Uh, I said, I How long have you and Barbara been married? We've been married 39 years. Wow, congratulations. Yeah, in June it'll be 40 years. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> it's good. It's still getting better. You know, I remember <laughs> you um, learning from you that, and this is such great advice, to prepare for the worst, ex- yeah. to, to expect the best. And I wondered when you had your scare with cancer, not right. a scare with cancer, survived cancer, <laughs> yeah. and it was pretty brutal. You had throat cancer, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. You had to do chemotherapy and radiation. Surgery, everything. And didn't rest. No. Did you, you know, faced with that, the reality of that diagnosis, did you prepare for the worst? I know you expected uh, the best because I know you, but did you prepare for the worst? Well, it was an interesting experience. I went to a, a really good doctor, and the doctor, I thought I had a sore throat because it was continuing uh-huh. to drip and he looked at it and he said Brian he said I don't think you have a sore throat I think you have throat cancer he said I'm not sure but I'll send you to a specialist who will take a couple of tests and tell us and he did and he was right fabulous wow. doctors retired now so the doctor said well he said we've caught it early and there is a course of treatment for it and if you follow the course of treatment you have about a 95 percent chance or better to beat it Mm-hmm. So then I went to a chemotherapist, and he said the same thing. He said that if you follow your doctor's instructions, then you'll be this, and you'll be back working again. You'll be back speaking again in six months. Mm. And they were right. Mm. What year was that? This is about 2010. 2010. Yeah. So I did a three-day seminar with you specifically designed for authors and speakers. Yes. Um, and that had to have been in late 2010, I would think. Right. right. So you were already, I mean, I couldn't tell with your voice or energy or stamina or anything. So that was, I mean, you just kept going. You didn't yeah. take a break during. So what do you, how much of your attitude do you attribute to your body's ability to heal? Well, I'm sure that that's a major part. Mm. I think I think one of the most important parts is how positive you are. But if you're a really positive person, then you have tremendous resilience and you bounce back from these things. Yeah. You know, some what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Yeah. Well, if you have a really strong mind and you have setbacks and difficulties, you just learn from them and keep on going. Yeah. But if your self-esteem or your self-concept is 
low, it's not that strong, you can have a setback and can crush you. Yeah. I uh, recently had my brain scanned at the Amen Clinic. Right. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> they told me, which I thought was interesting, that at least 50% of our positive, happy brain is inherited from our parents, wow. which I thought was pretty interesting because I've always wondered, like, it seems that there are people who are born to just be negative. Yes. You know, and, and so I asked that question of the doctors there, and they said, well, they might have the natural propensity to be more positive, but it's so much of your environment and, yes. and how you've trained yourself to think. Yes. And so if you could give your greatest piece of advice in terms of how to train yourself to think like a successful person, what would that be? Well, I teach this all the time. I teach three things that you can do. It's interesting, I was in uh, South America with Martin Seligman. Martin Seligman is considered the father of positive psychology. Mm -hmm. uh, his most important book, he wrote 40 years ago, 35 years ago, called uh, Learned Optimism. And basically he wrote about years, more than 22 years of research and where does optimism come from? And basically one learns to become an optimist. So I say to people, what is the most important quality you can have for success and happiness? And it's optimism. Mm. Just be a generally cheerful person. And where does it come from? And I say there's three things that I have found. Number one is feed your mind with positive material. Feed your mind with positive people, positive associations, uh, positive books, positive courses. Just keep feeding your mind. It's just as food is to the body, as right. learning is to the mind. I said, second of all, look for the good in every setback or difficulty. Okay. And I'll ask people a question. I'm asking, of course, the people who are watching or listening. Well, does anybody here have any problems, by the way? <laughs> and you can always guarantee a room full of moans, you know. Oh. <laughs> I say, well, that's okay. That's normal and natural. Everybody's got problems. And the only question is, how do you deal with them? And successful people look for the good in every problem or setback. So I want you to think about your problems today mm -hmm. and imagine that your problems are like dinner plates in the kitchen and you have your smaller dinner plates at the bottom but on the top you have your biggest dinner plate of all. This is the biggest problem you have in life. So I want you to think about your biggest problem in life right now. And there's always one. In 85% of cases it involves another person. Mm, yeah. yeah. It always is relationships. I say that most of your problems come with hair on top. <laughs> And uh, I said, so look for the good in this situation. There's always something good in a problem or difficulty. So instead of focusing on the problem and who's to blame, mm -hmm. is focus on something good and what you can learn from it. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing I talk about is to seek the valuable lesson. Is the most successful people, according to Napoleon Hill's work more than 100 years ago, have developed the habit of always looking for the valuable lesson in every problem or difficulty. Yes, yes, yes. And I think it was W. Clement Stone who said that we'll have a lot of problems and setbacks and no, we have a lot of difficulties and setbacks and obstacles. He said, but we never have any problems. Mm. What do we do when we have a problem? We say, that's good. And then we figure out what is good about this that can help us. Yeah. And sometimes you'll find that the thing that you're meant to learn from your biggest problem is that you need to make a big change in your life. Yeah. You need to walk away. You need to walk on. Sometimes it's a bad career, sometimes it's a bad boss, sometimes it's a bad relationship. And so one thing I ask people, I teach them all over the world, is practice zero-based thinking and ask this question, if I was not now doing what I am doing today, would I get into it today? Would I start it up again? Yeah. If I was not now in this relationship, or if I had not hired this person, or I was not now in this business, or selling this product, or working for this person, I haven't go through their lives. 
Is there anything in your life that, knowing what you now know, you would not start up again? And everybody has an answer to that, and that's usually the heart of, mm. of the biggest problem or negativity you have in your life. And so the way that you test is what is your major source of stress in life today? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it's probably your biggest problem. And what are you meant to learn from that? And you're probably meant to learn to move on. Mm. But most people fight to stay in a bad situation yeah, yeah. because of the, the eva of the comfort zone. They're comfortable and actually comfortable at a lower level of happiness and they're afraid of moving on. Yeah, this is true. What does your schedule look like today? I mean, on average day, your work life? Well, I, my, my, my daily life is really um, changes all the time. I just came back. I was in actually the emergency ward on uh, last Saturday. And then they let me out on Sunday, and I had four days of speaking planned in, in for hundreds, thousands of people in Sao Paulo, which is like the New York of Brazil. And I called my clients. I said, I can't come. They told me I'm, I cannot travel because of my head cellulitis in my leg, which it mm -hmm. turns out to be something else. And so um, they checked me into the hospital. You have to stay in the hospital overnight, and then we'll check it again tomorrow. So the doctor came the next morning, and I've never seen him before, and I said, you know, if there's any way you can let me out of here. Um, I have this whole series of seminars in Sao Paulo, and I'd like to go. And he said, well, I think we could do that. Wow. He said, I, I'm going to give you prescriptions for drugs, antibiotics and things. But whether you take them here in the hospital or whether you take them at home or traveling, it's not going to make any difference. So he let me go, free, I love it. in less than an hour. And I called my friends in Sao Paulo and said, I'm coming. <laughs> they had to be elated. And I arrived at 710 <laughs> in the morning, and we did four days of Oh, speaking. my gosh. Yeah. And so how I, do you balance your drive with family time and relaxing and spending time with your wife and your kids? How do you balance that? Because I assume, you know, for myself personally, I have to keep myself accountable because yes. I can really go deep into it. I can work and work and work and work because I love it. Yes. But I also know that, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm so happy I found the man that I did to marry because he really yes. balances that in me. Yes. But I have to keep myself accountable. How do you do that? Well, I make decisions in advance that I will take a day or days off. Mm -hmm. I take long vacations, one or two weeks, Hawaii three weeks uh, every year with my family. And I'll take all my kids and my grandchildren. So this, we have four children, five grandchildren, and they're ummers. And two of them are not married. And oh, this, got is, it. this is a funny one-liner. You're introducing the person who is with your son or daughter, and they're adults, but they're not married, but yeah. they're obviously living together, and yeah. you say, this is my, um, um, <laughs> my ummer. So we, we call them ummers. Oh my gosh, the, that's great. And so there's almost invariably four kids. We'll have, of course, two of them are happily married, yeah. and the, two of them have children, and then the others have boyfriends or girlfriends, and uh -huh. so the whole family goes for nice. on vacation in the summer, vacation in the winter, and we plan that, and then my wife, plans vacations just with she and I. Okay. And we plan them in advance and we never violate them. If we say we're going to go, we always go. Mm. We never uh, change our mind. Does Barbara ever have to say to you, okay, Brian, you know, put that away, relax tonight. It's time to stop. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she, she, yeah, she does. And she, so she'll ask me, when are you stopping? I love to work and so I usually work till six or seven o'clock in the evening mm -hmm. in my office. I write uh, four books a year. I know. So and so I'm, and, and I've spoken in 82 countries. Wow. And so I'm one of the best published authors in more countries than anyone else because I enjoy it. Yeah. So Barbara says, you have to stop at 7 o'clock. Dinner's <laughs> at 7. And I say, okay. And at 7 o'clock, she'll come in. She'll say, it's 7, okay. Turn off everything. 
uh, don't argue. Uh, because she's the most important person. Fifty-one percent. Fifty-one percent. Yeah, I won't forget that. <laughs> no. And is there ever a time that you feel like it's too much right now, and and maybe I should slow down? Or has there ever been a time in your life where you felt like you had too much on your plate, you were doing too much, and things suffered? No. What happens is I always, whatever I'm doing, if one of my children calls or comes over, I stop everything. As far as mm. everything stops, and it has since they were infants. Before I got married, I had a friend, a girlfriend, not a girlfriend, girlfriend, but a very nice friend. friend. And uh, she was a bit messed up. And she told me, she knows why she's messed up. She'd been married, divorced and everything. And it was because her mother, when she was growing up, her mother liked to read. And so she would go to talk to her mother when she was a little girl, four, mm -hmm, five, mm -hmm. six, seven. And her mother would say, get away from me, I'm reading. Get away from me, I'm reading. Mm. And she said she still remembers how hurt she was that a newspaper was more important than she was. Mm. And I, ding, registered. Yeah. I would never do that to any of my children. Yeah. And so if ever they came, wanted to talk, crawled up when they were children, stop everything. And my daughter is now 36, she's a PhD, she's got a doctorate, she has her own practice, she's written two books with me and we're working on a third and so on. And she came up to me when I was sitting outside and I was reading something, and she came up and said, how you doing, Dad? She's visiting with her family. Uh -huh. And whatever it was, I put it away. And she said, you know something? All my life, you've always put it away. Wow. I remember when I was Integrity. five years old, is that you always stop reading whenever I mm. wanted to talk to you. She said, you have no idea how important that was to me. I still remember it from the time she was five. Wow. And that was, that was my thought, is before she was born, my thought was, is I never want my children to feel that they are less than something physical, a book, a television show. When my family members come into my house, I turn off the family television. I'm watching television, I turn it off. Wow. They never have to compete. And with my wife, she wants to talk, television goes off. Wow. <laughs> what I do, I say, shh, I gotta hear this part. Just yeah. Kidding. There's a few shows. Yeah. There's a few shows. You know, what do you think, what's your opinion of how things have kind of changed in the industry and the people who are now some of the most popular speakers on stages and quote-unquote thought leaders and yeah. you know how maybe YouTube has affected this. What are your thoughts on what's happened and what's changed and the trends that you're seeing? Well, uh, I wrote a book a few years ago called Something for Nothing mm -hmm. and it was based on 20 years of in-depth research, uh, thousands of hours. And basically, if you study all of economics, you'll find that all of economics is people attempting to improve their lives for the lowest possible cost. Mm. And so if you go to sales, that's why people mm -hmm. try to save money and so on. Because saving money, according to uh, the economists, if you save money when you buy this, it means you can buy more of something else. So it's very logical and normal. Unfortunately, unemployed people, criminals, crooks, everything else also want something for nothing. And this something for nothing gene, this drive, is so deeply rooted that if you give anybody an opportunity to get something for nothing, they cannot stop. It's almost like a dope addiction. They just fall on it. Hmm. Which is one of the reasons why we have political problems in the US and throughout the world. Is you ask, what does a person want? Politicians want to be elected. How do you get elected? You have to get people's votes. Mm -hmm. How do you get people's votes? You have to offer a better package than the opponent. Mm -hmm. What's the best package? Something for nothing. Mm. So basically, every election now is an attempt to buy votes by offering more and more for less and less until the ultimate is nothing. And that's one of the problems we have 
in our medical system today, and it was deliberate, absolutely meticulously planned, is get 24 million people completely dependent on government so that they are used to something for nothing. And what I said in my book was that the thought of free money makes people weak, but the thought of taking away free money makes people crazy. You can fill the streets with people hysterical. Don't even work in the industry, but they're hysterical if someone implies that free money is going to be taken away. Mm. And so that's the problem we have today. You, I, I sometimes call it the Zuckerberg effect. Here's Mark Zuckerberg. He comes up with this idea when he's a college student at Harvard. Within a few years, he's got Facebook. Mm -hmm. And he's a billionaire by the age of time he's 24. Mm -hmm. And then you look at some other people who've done the same things. And people say, well, I can do that. I can do that. Mm. And I meet people and I say, well, what are you doing with your life? I'm going to invent a killer app and be a billionaire mm. next year. I said, well, a killer app, what is it going to be on? Well, I haven't decided yet, but I'm going to be a billionaire. <laughs> and jeez, people have no, right? uh, no idea. The average self-made billionaires, and I study this as a matter of fact, I just, down, just got a book on the habits and behaviors of self-made billionaires, and I've written two books on it. So every self-made billionaire has been working his head off for 15 years before the, he found the right opportunity. And then he probably works for another 10 to 15 years to turn that opportunity into a unicorn to, in, into great wealth. It's so rare. I just love that man. I am forever grateful. As you can probably tell, there's so much more to learn from his wisdom. So this is definitely a two-parter. You'll definitely want to tune in to part two, especially if you want to hear me cry like a baby. But you don't even have to search for it if you're a subscriber to Build Your Tribe. Brock and I would both love to invite you, actually to ask you, if you wouldn't mind doing that, Build Your Tribe, we're able to offer to you for free. We've been approached by several companies, different platforms to turn this into a paid program. And at the moment, we just would really like to take care of our subscribers. So as long as the number of subscribers that we're reaching each week is continuing to grow, then we know we're doing the right thing. So if you haven't, if I could ask you to, even while you're listening, you can just go to whatever podcasting app you're listening to this on and double check to make sure that you are subscribed. It's easiest way to find part two of this episode with Brian Tracy. Until that time, I want to let you know how grateful we are to have you as a listener. It is my goal to be brief, to be bright, to make it fun, and then be done. So for now, we're done. I love you. I appreciate you. And we'll talk to you soon. This episode has been brought to you by the Smart Life Push Journal. If you're the type of individual who loves to make lists, keep yourself on task, get organized, and there just don't seem to be enough hours in the day. This is a convenient, lightweight, simple to use 30-day system. This is not just a day planner. And learn how you can get your health, fitness, life, and goals organized and develop the laser focus you need to have the life that you deserve. Check it out. Go to smartlifepushjournal.com.